Lord, thank you for continuing to work on us, Lord. Continuing to be faithful to us. Lord, whether we're faithful or not, many times, probably most of the time, we are not. And yet you are faithful. You're faithful that when we call out, we ask you to meet us here, you do. And so, Lord, we wait upon you right now. Let your spirit fall. As we lift up our worship, as we lift up our adoration of you, our praise, our love for you, God, let your spirit fall upon us. As we sing hallelujah to you.
Thank you that you've chosen us to be a part of your long story of, of worship. God, we thank you that our song of hallelujah, it joins with all the saints that have ever sung that. Every believer that has ever called upon the name of the Lord, we join now and sing hallelujah. Lord, we join with all the angels that sing hallelujah. We join with all of creation that sings hallelujah. Are, are so small. We're, we're a little speck in, in this story that you've laid out over all of time, and yet you so desire our worship that our small hallelujah is so meaningful to you that when we sing it, you hear and you respond. seconds, would you just, before we move on, take 20 or 30 seconds and just think about the worship that has been happening for all of eternity since Adam and Eve. Think about how long we're going to be praising our Lord and just think about your place in that and how meaningful it is when you can just utter a word, hallelujah, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Just take a few seconds. the room, wherever you're standing, just start to utter your hallelujah to him. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
hallelujah to be Lord of Lords, to be King of Kings. We praise you, God. We worship you, Jesus. powerful when the, the body of Christ comes together in unity. And even something as small as saying, Lord, we love you, we adore you, we lift up our hands and surrender to you. And then he hears that. Even in the midst of technical difficulties. Amen, church. We can clap for him. Amen. Like I said earlier, uh, we hope that you had a very, very Merry Christmas um, with your loved ones these last few days. Uh, we're super glad that you're here with some more loved ones. And so would you do me a favor, turn to each other, give each other a big hug, a handshake, a welcome to today's morning service. service is Tuesday at 6 p.m. It's a night of worship, communion, and the word, and a great way to start off 2020. And everyone will receive a scripture promise for the year ahead. Growth groups begin January 15th. Life is not meant to be lived alone. Growth groups are a place to hang out, study the word, and pray together. It's also a great way to build relationships within our church family. Join us throughout the week at our off-campus groups or on campus Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Men's breakfast is January 11th at 8 a.m. Come and share a great meal with the guys and spend some time in worship and the word. In observance of the holidays, we will not be having midweek, Latino, youth, or children's gatherings on Wednesday, January 1st. Youth winter camp is January 31st through February 2nd at Camp Cedar Crest. This is a life-changing experience for students in 7th through 12th grade. You can register at the lobby table or online today. Discover Your Church is Sunday, January 12th at 12.30 p.m. Come meet our pastors and staff. Find out who we are, our mission, history, and beliefs. We would love to connect with you. Lunch is provided and childcare is available by request. Sign up on your connection card, our website, or app today. Our Deeper courses are designed to help you go further, faster in your walk with God. Deeper One is the first step. This six-week course will help you discover the depth of God's plan for you and the power of His Word to transform your life. Deeper One starts on Sunday, January 19th at 1 p.m. Sign up online or on our church app. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and... Uh, 
and would like to wish everyone a happy new year. Can you believe that we are almost in 2020? Um, I, um, for those who have seen the movie Back to the Future, I remember when that, watching that movie, and um, that movie came out in 1985, and they flew to the distant future. Does anybody remember what year it was? 2015. We're way past it. We are past. The future just, yeah, we're just blazing past the future, and here we are. Um, it hit me the other day. I remember when um, I had, uh, when we had two babies, two little ones, um, they're, they're growing up. But I had several people, people even in this room that, you know, had said that had seen their kids who are now adults. And um, they kept saying, the one thing that everybody always says when you have kids is, is it goes so fast. It goes so fast, you know. And um, I had one of those dad moments uh, this Christmas that kind of broke my heart and I was uh, at a department store and I walked past the toy section and I was out with my daughter and I'm like you want to go look and she's like nah it's like what no baby dolls I mean for those who have a little one you know it's like you have I remember when my son you know you walk by it's like you walk past the, the Star Wars section or anything, I was like, you know, you know you're, you're going to lose them for a while. And they're, even though you say they're not walking out with something, you know, they somehow convince you that they need this. And just this whole thing about them wanting uh, those, those gifts. No, she doesn't want it. Now the gifts are a lot more expensive, right? iPhones and iPads they want. But um, had one of those moments. And uh, life uh, is, can be sad sometimes as you watch... Uh, your kids grow up, but also there's a joy, especially as you see them serving the Lord and growing in the Lord um, and, and seeing all that God has for them. Um, but 2019 is all but a memory. It's basically a couple days, and if you remember, uh, it's going to join its neighbor 2018, right? We don't think much about 2018 more. That was so even that seems like a long time ago. And before we move into 2020, though, I did want to take a second and, and celebrate. Or right, let me ask the question, what, what, what do you do with 2019? And there was three things that came to mind, celebrate, contemplate, and commit. First, celebrate. Um, take a second and recognize all that God did, especially here at the Cornerstone. 2020 was an amazing year here. We had two youth camps. We had a young adults camp. We had a VBS. We had a kids camp. Um, we had a women's retreat, we had a men's conference, uh, we had outreach going on, the Harvest Fest, we took a team of youth to the city of Pear Blossom, uh, served there, we had amazing holiday services, Our, uh, if you got to be part of any of the, whether it was the Christmas Eve candlelight, the Christmas service, Easter service, there's so much that we have uh, that God did in and through us here at the Cornerstone in, in, in 2019. So I just wanted to take a second. Can we just thank the Lord and give him a clap offering? Yes. We, we celebrate because we know that during those services and everything that we did, there was a lot of people who came to Christ. There was a lot of people who re rededicated their lives to Christ. So we celebrate uh, the fruitfulness of that. But after we get done celebrating, then, or the thing I thought of was contemplate, right? And when we say that, I think, you know, contemplating, how can I do better? 
How can I do better? And I know I love the word better because whether you're Tom Brady, uh, who seems like they win the Super Bowl like every other year, right? The Patriots, and I'm not a Patriots fan, or Michael Jordan, or you look at Kobe Bryant, the best athletes in the world. You know what they, even after a championship, they're always asking the question, how could I improve? How could I take my game to the next level? How can I be better, right? And I think for us, um, sometimes it's good to learn from those athletes, from the corporations, whether it's Starbucks, Walmart, McDonald's, some of the most successful corporations, they don't end a year and go, okay, I don't think we can do any better. They're always asking themselves, how can I improve? How can we take it to the next level? How can we be better? And us as Christians, I think that's something that we should do as well after we celebrated the successes, look at our lives and say, hey, what are some areas that I could do better in, in, in 2020? And also that could be something corporately that we do and go, hey, well, how can we strategically improve in certain areas and do better in the coming year. And after we identify those areas, then you got to commit, right? And I think um, we have something here that people either love them or hate them called New Year's resolutions. How many people make New Year's resolutions? Anybody? All right. We got two people. Nice. Committed to improving, huh? Okay, just kidding. Um, we hate, that, that, you know what? We do. Most people hate New Year's resolutions. They don't like them. I actually do. I'm one of the few that like them because it's one of those things. It doesn't mean that I actually keep them. Um, I've quit drinking coffee, like, I think 100 times. And it, I usually sometimes will last. Not that coffee's bad. I keep reading these studies that it's great. It makes me feel better because I drink too much. I need to cut down. But we oftentimes, our New Year's resolutions come in the form of health stuff physical health, which is good. We'll talk about, you know, the most common one in America will be they want to improve their health. People are going to start eating better and exercising more. Those are like the big two. It's the given. If you're a Christian, it's like, read your Bible and pray. It's like, yes, we know, right? But in health, it's, you know, eat better and exercise more. And I think everybody would say, yeah, I want that. And it's another thing to recognize that we need to do that, but it's another thing to commit to doing it. And I think in, in 2020, Maybe it would be good for each of us individually to just look at our lives and maybe get, make some spiritual New Year's resolutions and going, how did I do? You know, how did I do? How can I be better in, in, in 2020? So once we've done that, what should be our attitude about this new year? There's a lot of, of uh, potential in 2020. So I think our attitude could be best summed up in this phrase. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Do you guys receive that? If you think your best years are behind you, um, you're already defeated. God's got something amazing for you and for me and for us in 2020. This could literally be the best year spiritually you've ever had, ever. What, the only thing that could prevent that from happening is you. You just have to want it. And if you desire to have that, this could be the best year. This, so that's my prayer for us, is that this is the best year of prayer you've ever had. This is going to be the best year of Bible reading, Scripture, getting it in you, that you and I have ever had. And this is going to be the best year of evangelism that you and I have ever had. We're going to see a lot of people come to Christ through God using us conversations, inviting them to church, 
there's going to be a fruitfulness to 2020 for each and every one of us. Do you guys receive that? I hope so. Um, I want to take the rest of my time and talk about the third thing that I said, evangelism. Evangelism. And um, the title of my message today is Destined for the Kingdom. Destined for the Kingdom. So I, I chose a portion of scripture that we're going to read. It's Acts 18 verses 1 through 11. Acts 18, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it. If not, we'll put the, the verses up on the screen here. And I'm going to read this section, and uh, we'll talk about that. Verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, and he said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that as we open your word and study it this morning, that you would uh, give us hearts, Lord, to see the truth contained uh, in your word, to see what it is that you're calling us to, Lord. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart. Lord, give us your heart for the loss as we talk about evangelism today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the title of my message is Destined for the Kingdom. And I want to focus on that topic of evangelism. And, and that word, as people talk about evangelism, you may get different definitions. I actually went to Webster's to see the, the way they defined it. And they define it as the winning or revival of personal commitments to Christ. Um, in Christianity, we usually talk about evangelism in connection with what we call the Great Commission. Um, after Jesus rose from the dead... He gave his followers a blueprint, a game plan um, on how he was going to advance his kingdom here on earth. And we refer to that as the Great Commission. So today I want to ask three questions about the Great Commission and see if we can get some insight into what God's plan is for us advancing his kingdom here on earth. Question number one on your outline there. What is the Great Commission? What is the Great Commission? So the most common uh, or popular verse associated with the Great Commission is usually that people will go to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. So let me read that. 
says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. Um, that's probably the most common place, but another place that you know, people will go for the Great Commission is Mark 16, um, verse 15 and 16. And Jesus says, go into the world, go Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Then we see a few little other variations and versions of Jesus commissioning and sending out his followers. We see one in Luke 24, John 20, Acts chapter 1. There's some things where Jesus is sending out the disciples and, and followers, and he's giving them some commands. But as we look at this, the one, what you see in each of those, and if you were to look at it, uh, 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 cohesively, what, how they all fit together. There's a few elements that are present that would really um, be found in all those, or one way or another. So that Jesus explains his mission to the followers: go out into the world and make disciples. Go into the world and make disciples. And then there's I, I see four action verbs there: going, preaching baptizing, and teaching. We see somehow all those connected to this command to go and make disciples. The Greek word go, there is, can also be translated as you go. And in fact, in Matthew, he uses that in Matthew 10 when Jesus is sending out the disciples. He says, as you go, preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so it, I like as you go better than go. You know why? Because go, you can go to church, right? And you can check the box because you went. You can go to the movies, check, I went. But as you go, never ends. Because as soon as you get up for your seat, you're going somewhere. So it's an attitude, it's an, it's an idea or the thought that as you go through life, as you go to school, as you go to Starbucks, as you go, you're, there's people all around you. Wherever God has you, as you're going there, there are going to be people around you who you have an opportunity to share your faith, invite to church, lead the Christ. There's going to be people you know and you don't know, but as you go, God's putting people there um, in your path. So there's two aspects to the Great Commission. Because usually when we talk about the Great Commission, we focus on evangelism, which is what? Sharing our faith, right? But actually, it says go, preach. So would that be to believers or unbelievers? Unbelievers, right? You're going and you're preaching. That's unbelievers. But then the rest of the command is to make disciples. How? By baptizing and teaching. Would you baptize an unbeliever? No. So that part of it is discipleship. So in the Great Commission, there's both evangelism and discipleship. One's not more important than the other. They, they go together. Sometimes people will, the pendulum will swing and we're all about evangelism. In some places, they're not about discipleship. Some places, they're all about discipleship and they're not about evangelism. They go together. That's God's plan, that we are to bring people in, build them up, and then send them out to preach that message to others as well. And so they go hand in hand. And today... I want to talk about that, that, that great commission. So one, what is it? We kind of defined it. Question number two, who has been commissioned? Who has been commissioned? 
See, this mission was not just for Jesus' initial, the, the, the 12. This was for all of us. This was all of Jesus' followers. Disciples, this is God's plan. It's pretty simple. Disciples would make disciples. If you don't know, did you know that in the Bible, usually that, that the word Christian doesn't really um, come up a lot? You know, in the New Testament, I think it's like twice or something. And usually they call people disciples, followers of the way. We see different things. And it was this whole thing about that we, we're all disciples. We've all been called to be disciples. And we have been called to bring other people in and reproduce ourselves. Disciples make disciples. That was God's plan. That's how he wanted to see it happening. Um, and all of us should be sharing our faith. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you are a Christian, I don't care if you, if you grew up in a Christian home or you, uh, that won't be, at some point, every single person has to have genuine faith on their own, Right? They say that God has no grandchildren in heaven. Everybody's a child. Everybody's a son or daughter. Every single one of us have, if you are a born-again Christian, at some point made a decision to believe the message. But, so, but I would ask the question, how did you hear the message? It may have, if it was a Christian home, you may have, it may have had Christian parents. It may have been um, a Sunday school teacher. May have been a servant. You may somebody. If you didn't grow up in a Christian home, at some point you heard the message and you believed it. The message is the gospel, right? The good news about what God did, and you believed it. The message of salvation, and as you believed it, you became what we call born again. Your dead spirit became alive, and your son and daughter. All because what? You believed the good news. So here's, here's a verse in Romans uh, 10, verse 13 and 14, which I think is really important and helping us understand our role in that. Um, we have this amazing promise. This is such a great promise. In uh, Romans 10, verse 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? That's, is that not an amazing promise? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Let's flip this and go reverse. I'm going to read this backwards because um, Paul sometimes is a little confusing. But I think if you go backwards, we'll end at that verse where we talked about everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen to what he says. Unless someone tells him. So what's the starting point? Telling somebody. Unless someone tells them, how can they hear about him? That almost seems too easy or too simple, right? Unless someone tells you about Jesus, how are you going to hear about him? And it says, unless they hear about him, how are they going to believe? And unless they believe, how can they be saved? See, our role, the place that starts with us, what God has asked us to do is to tell somebody, to tell people, to share our faith, to let them know the good news, to let them know about Jesus. And I'm not talking about before you think, okay, well, he's asking me to go out on a corner and stand there with a sign and do all. That's not, that's not what really this is about. 
This is about us telling people what God has done in our life. Sharing our faith, sharing Christ. And, And you know what we need? We need a spirit of boldness. I don't know about you, um, but I am not a bold person. I'm not a bold person. I'm, 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 it's easy for me, easier to stand up here, and some people are like, oh, public speaker. It's easier to talk to a group of people than to get me one-on-one with a couple people and to walk up and, you know, and say, hey, you know, and, and, and just share. Uh, but I think that God has called each of us to step out of his comfort zone, his or her comfort zone, in 2020. We need a spirit of boldness to come upon us. And when the Holy Spirit does come upon us, um, we will. We'll see those opportunities. We'll, we'll step up and step out of our comfort zone to let uh, find ways to work uh, the Lord into conversations, even inviting somebody to church. I used to have a friend, I was telling somebody this last week, I had this friend, Jeremy, who he, he's the one who actually brought me to this church. When I was in the college group, 19 years old, came here, that guy never showed up on a Sunday or to the midweek to the college group without bringing somebody. He always had somebody. I'm like, where'd you meet that guy? He's like, oh, I was just talking to him. I said, hey, you want to come to church with me? Or, hey, you want to come to my youth group? We got a good uh, a college group and different things. He was always bringing people. Now, Jeremy was a good-looking guy, uh, guy, so sometimes there were girls, and they go, oh, that's why he's there. He's asked them and, and, and different things. But that wasn't it. He brought guys. He brought girls. He brought everybody. And he was actually the, the person that brought me here. And every week, you'd look, and there's Jeremy and somebody else sitting with him. And he didn't really even share his, a lot of times, his faith outside. He'd just bring people with him. Hey, come, come with me. I'm going to, uh, we have a midweek study. Come out, you know, check out the youth group. Check out the college group. Hey, we have a men's conference. You want to go to men's breakfast? You want to do this harvest fest? And just inviting people. That, to me, is something I think all of us can do. We can all invite somebody, just give them an invitation. Hey, you want to come with me to Easter service? You want to come with me to women's Bible study? You want to come? Hey, we're going, we go Sunday to church. You guys, if you ever want to join us, you can go. And how do you know how people are going to respond? Why don't we? If you knew that they say yes, if I knew, I'd probably do it, huh? But a lot of times, like, I, I could probably never be a salesman because I hate rejection. And don't they say, like, in sales, every hundred people that you talk to, I think it's three or something, are going to say yes. And it's like, oh, the 97 would crush me. I'd never make it. You know, I can't do sales. I hate rejection. And, but it's, it's not, the power is in the message. The power is in the message. It's not in the messenger. Uh, yes, the messenger matters because we don't want to disqualify or discredit the message. But God's used all kinds of people that were less than perfect to share faith and to invite people and, and to, to expand his kingdom. Our job is just to tell them. Because unless we tell them, how are they going to believe? How are they going to hear? Um, so I'm praying a spirit of boldness for us. That's number two, who's been commissioned. And then number three, how should we view our mission field? Um, and before we discuss how we view it, we need to talk about where or who is our mission field. Because each of us has a mission field. Um, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of your circle and your community. And I might be using these terms a little different than because, you know, we are part of a community of faith. And when we talk about our community, but I'm going to kind of uh, use some different terms when I talk about your circle and your community. And hopefully this makes sense. So your circle is everyone you know. 
That would include your family, your friends. If you, know, uh, if you work at a place, if you know the people, if you know somebody personally there, if you work at a big corporation, they're part of your circle. If you don't, they'd be part of your community. I refer to community as everybody that you don't know. So in other words, if you were to go to In-N-Out after church and you walked over there, most of the people in there would be part of your community. You don't know them. But there might be somebody from your circle, right, that you know. Um, if you go to downtown Disney, most, like 99% of the people there, if you were to head over there today, would be people in your community. They're people that are doing life around you, but you don't know them. See, the thing is, people in your circle, the people you know, and in your community, you have people who know the Lord and people who don't. And God has called us to reach those who don't, to share our faith with those who don't. Here's the advantage. The people that you share your faith with in your circle, you know them. You have a voice into their life usually. They'll at least listen to what you say versus a complete stranger. So that's usually the best place to start is people you know. And you go, well, they are a Christian, but they're not going to, they're not fellowship anywhere. They're not going, well, then invite them with you, take them with you. There's different ways. Remember, evangelism and discipleship, we can all be fulfilling the Great Commission and doing better. But everybody that you know that doesn't know Jesus is part of your mission field. And how should we view them? I think the best answer to that is we need to view people through the eyes of Christ. We need to view people through the eyes, uh, eyes of Jesus. And, and that's why I started this, uh, our, my message with that, that portion of scripture in Acts chapter 18. Because Paul goes into a city called Corinth. Corinth was a very dark and sinful city. In fact, there was a term in that day that people would refer to living the Corinthian life or to Corinthianize, which was associated with the life of sexual immorality, drunkenness. And here's Paul. He goes into this dark place. I think they stole the title. Have you ever heard that phrase? Um, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I think they stole that. Whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That's where they got that from because this place was a dark place filled with sexual morality. If you looked in, in just a, a darkness around it. There was temple prostitutes at that time where people would go and, and their religion uh, would be um, taking part of just, just wicked things. And here Paul goes into this city and he starts speaking the truth. And he's met with opposition. He's met with insults. It says they were abusive towards him. And maybe he thought about leaving because of that rejection. Because if we were to read some of the other chapters prior to this, he'd already been kind of pushed out of some of the other cities. He'd been physically uh, by a mob, beaten. He'd been thrown in prison. Just, just really wasn't going that well. And he had been forced out of some of these cities. In fact, it says oftentimes it was the disciples that said, hey, you got to leave. You got to get out of here. And they take him to another city. And here he is in another city. It's not going well. And maybe he thought it's time to leave. It's too dark here. There's too much. There's too much darkness. None of these people are, we don't really know. Maybe he was afraid. The Bible doesn't tell us. But this is what it says um, in verse, Acts 18, verse 9 and 10. It says, do not be afraid 
but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you. I think that's a word for many of us in this room today. Don't be afraid, but speak for I am with you. That's, that's the premise of the Great Commission, right? Jesus said, uh, I am with you always. At the end. He ends it by saying, hey, and by the way, I'm with you always till the end of the age. Didn't we just celebrate Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. And it's not only is God with us, God is in us. The Holy Spirit resides inside of every believer to give us power and strength to accomplish God's purposes. But I believe that verse 10 holds the key to helping us see how God sees the lost. He says, for I have many people in this city. Think about that. He goes to this dark city. There were not a lot of Christians in Corinth. And, God go, and Paul goes into the city and he says, you know, and God tells him, you know what? I got a lot of people in this city. Why? Because he knew that there were people in that city that were going to believe the gospel message that he was going to preach that were, that were destined for the kingdom. He had sons and daughters sitting in darkness waiting for Paul to go grab them out. It's the same for us. All around us, God has got our Corinth, wherever he's pulled us to, there are people sitting in darkness and God's, that, that we don't even know. The guy that first preached the gospel to me had no idea. I was just this lost kid. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. I was just sitting in darkness. And this guy, you know who it was? I don't know. And this is not a knock against anybody. But when I was in high school, I never had one person. I didn't share. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I wasn't part of a youth group, nothing like that. I was unsaved all through high school, uh, doing the normal thing that Everybody on public high school, I was just a normal public high school kid, if that makes any sense. And here I was, and you know what? Nobody shared with me. Nobody ever invited me. You know who did? Some guy I never met. I was at the beach, and this guy just walked up to me and just out of the, what, what I would consider awkward and, you know, too bold for me to ever do. And this guy just walks up and goes, hey, can I talk to you? And he starts, you know, asking me a question, and hey, you know, if you... And just led to this conversation about, you know, the Lord. And, and it ended with this question where he said, you know, if, if you, because I was sharing with him that I had just had a friend that had died. Um, uh, got, and he was drinking and driving and um, had passed away, that kid that we knew. And we uh, were sharing this with him. He said, you know, can I ask you a question? He said, if that was you, where, where do you think you would go? And he just kind of left it at that, you know. And, and from that point on, he shared the gospel with me, and I, I didn't have some major conversion, and I, from that point on, I was running from the Lord because I didn't surrender yet. But you know what? That guy, God used him to bring me to where I'm at even today. I'll see him again one day in heaven, you know, and thank him. But wow, I appreciate when, when people take, when I was sitting in darkness, I can look back and go, wow, I'm so glad somebody threw me a life preserver, started pursuing me, that cared about me, that had compassion about me. And um, I think God has called us to pull his sons and daughters out of darkness. And, and just want to mention one thing there as I, as I say that. Um, I, I completely believe in the doctrine of free will. I believe that every person has a real choice in 
uh, whether you are going to receive or reject the gospel. So I believe in free will. But I also believe that God is all-knowing and God is sovereign. How those two work together, there's mystery there for sure. But let me tell you one thing I do know. God is all-knowing. So he knew, he was not surprised. When I was in my mother's womb, he knew that at 19 years old, I was going to receive him. He wasn't surprised by that. He knew me from my mother's womb. He knew, he knew every choice that I would make. If he didn't know every choice that I was going to make even before he created me, would he be all-knowing? No, because you could learn something, right? So by definition, all-knowing means you can't learn anything. He knew everything. So when God looked at Abram, when he was childless and had no children, and said, you know what? You're Abraham, father of many, father of a multitude. He, you know what he did? He looked at the end. He sees the end of the story. He knew how his story was going to end before he ever got there. And you know what? He knew that about every single one of us in this room. He knew your story before it ever began. And so there's people, that's how God sees people, that he's saying, hey, look, it, you may not know this, but that person's the next Billy Graham. Go get him for me. That person is destined for a king. That person is my son. That person is my daughter. Yeah, they're sitting in darkness. Remember Pastor Rick's message a few weeks ago about treasures in darkness? God has asked us to go grab his sons and daughters, gather them to him. He already knows that they're destined for the kingdom. He's asking us to go grab them, take them, bring them into the kingdom. I wanted to close with this, this verse. Um, in John chapter 11, verse 51 and 52, we read this uh, story about a, the high priest uh, in Israel at that time. Jerusalem was a guy named Caiaphas. And Caiaphas gave this prophecy and we know that it was of the Lord because John, the Apostle John, who wrote the book of John, gives us a little commentary after he prophesies and lets us know he didn't speak this of his own authority. It, it, basically, it was the Lord. And listen to this because I think it gives us some insight and it's a good place to close. It says, now he did not say this on his own authority, that being Caiaphas, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together into one the children of God scattered abroad. This is before Jesus went to the cross. And, and I had thought about naming this message scattered children, but I'm like, ah, that sounds too weird. People are going to, ah, what, what does that mean? But that's what all of us is. What this is really saying is that God has children scattered all over Anaheim, all over Corinth. Now, I'm not talking in terms of, you know, everybody, yes, you know, God is our father, you know, and everybody on whatever, the MTV awards, and, you know, God, father of all. Yes, 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 God created everybody. I'm talking about sons and daughters by that we've been adopted and born in through born-again Christians, sons and daughters. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a son and daughter. And God has people just like you that haven't received their inheritance, that haven't put their faith and trust in Christ, scattered all over. He's got children that are still in darkness, and he's asking us to gather them for him. That takes the pressure 
off of me and you. When I say that, meaning it's not some powerful message or powerful, uh, I mean, uh, it doesn't, it's, it, it's, it, the power is in the message would be a better way to say it. It's the gospel of salvation. It's the power unto salvation is in the gospel. It's in the message. So God's asked us to share our faith and, and bring those children in who are scattered for, uh, all over, but they're destined for the kingdom. So as we close, I, I uh, wanted to at least give ourselves an opportunity today um, if there's anybody in the room, a good place to start that's never done that. They've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're going to go ahead and pray a prayer. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So corporately together, we're going to do that. We're going to make a confession. We're going to declare Jesus is Lord as we pray this prayer. But the believe in your heart part, that's between you and the Lord. And if you have never uh, received Jesus Christ or surrendered or believed unto faith in Christ, um, we're going to give you an opportunity. And I believe that even as we're praying this, God's going to look at your heart as if you're the only person uh, in this room. So can we just pray this together? Go ahead, church. uh, Join me. Dear Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave. So Lord, I choose to follow you from this day forward and I confess that you are my Lord and you are my Savior. Amen. Amen. Can we just give a clap on for those who received that? If that, if that was you and, um, again, uh, you put your faith and trust in Christ for the first time and, it was, uh, and, and that was your heart, um, we'd love to talk with you, tell you maybe possibly some next steps on how you can grow in your faith. So uh, to my left, your right, after the service, we'll have the prayer room um, open there and we'd love to... Uh, uh, give you some advice, some help on what you could do to further your walk with with the Lord. So we're going to go ahead um, and close. If I can get the ushers to come forward, we're going to prepare to receive offering. And we're going to do two things here uh, today. So um, I'm going to pray over the offering, then I'll give some instructions on how I'd like to uh, close the service today. So Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you, God, for the abundance that you've given each of us, Lord. And we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you, Lord, and that everything we have, Lord, is because you gave to us, Lord. So we, we pray, Lord, that you would bless as we give back. Bless both the gift and the giver, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers, as they're um, receiving offering, I just wanted to explain kind of what... Um, I'd like to do to close. As we're talking about being destined for the kingdom um, and maybe looking at our circle, we, we, we put a tag in your bulletin. Um, would you hold that tag up if you, have, if you have it? If you have that tag, go ahead and hold it up. Great. Okay, you can put them down. Um, that 
tag on it obviously says destined for the kingdom. And this is what I, I would like to do. Um, in your circle, people you know, there may be a brother, a sister, a cousin, a friend, someone who needs the Lord. Each of us in our circle have somebody that needs Jesus, that, that, hasn't, that, that hasn't made that commitment to follow him yet. And what we would like to do is have you write the name of that person on that tag. There's pins behind your seat. So you know, as we're doing worship, you don't have to uh, rush into it. You can prayerfully think about it if, as you, and contemplate who is it that the Lord is putting on your heart to, uh, to pray in, to intercede in to the kingdom in 2020. So as you write that name on the tag with, with those, those pins, um, when we close service today, you may have saw the banners in uh, the, the hallway here as you're going towards the foyer. Um, I'm going to ask that in faith, as you go past that banner, you take that tag or the name of the person on, and even by your action, you're proclaiming, you're prophesying over that person, 2020 is their year. They're going to come into the kingdom. They're destined for the kingdom. And um, we're going to pray over those banners uh, uh, as well, not uh, we can. I'm not sure how long we'll leave them up there or what we're going to do with them, but for sure we'll be praying over those and praying over those names. But your part and my part will be look for opportunities with that person that the Lord puts on our heart to maybe invite them to share our faith. Um, we got a whole year, right, to 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 make this happen. What would be great is if we we got them here next week and that was right off the bat, and then you're you could check the box and just relax. No, that's not how it works. Check. For the rest of the year, but just really, our, our, uh, we want to believe that God's going to do something in us and through us in 2020, and that we're going to see a harvest, a harvest of people coming here to the cornerstone who have never gave their life to the Lord, and we're going to see a harvest of people who maybe are believers but haven't found a home people in your life that you know that are Christian but they're not fellowshipping, they're not growing somewhere, they don't have a church they're plugged into and maybe it's our, our, our year to invite that person and say, hey, well, you know, come, come join, be part of our church family, grow with me as we follow the Lord. So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, and as we worship, Lord, I pray that you would just stir up our hearts, Lord, to, and, and, uh, to think and contemplate about who it is, Lord, that we can make a difference, that we can draw out of darkness, Lord, people who are destined for your kingdom, Lord. We pray that you would use us to bring them into the kingdom in 2020. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand as we worship the Lord.
As we dismiss, I wanted to just remind you guys to take um, take your tag, and you're going to see a banner right out there. And in faith, as you're putting it up, just believe that as that act of faith, as you're setting it up, you're prophesying over that person's life that this is the year. This is the year that they're destined for the kingdom. They're destined to have an encounter with Jesus. And then let's look for opportunities that God can help use us to make that encounter happen with them. And then also wanted to mention, as well as we're dismissing, that Tuesday, Tuesday night is our New Year's Eve service. So come join us. It's at 6 o'clock. And um, it's just an awesome time where we take communion and give out scripture promises. And what no better way to take in the new year start it by gathering with the body, taking communion, getting a scripture promise. And usually you'll be out of here even if you have plans and time to go do uh, whatever it is that you want to do. We're done by 7 o'clock-ish. So um, come join us. God bless you guys. Lord, I pray a blessing over each and every person as we go. We pray that you would use us, Lord, for your kingdom, that you would use us for your glory. Lord, give us ears to see eyes to hear and a heart, Lord, to do your will completely, Lord. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.